Hello, and welcome to Commercial Real Estate Views with Nayop Pittsburgh's Developing Leaders Podcast. This year's Developing Leader, or DL, annual sponsor is RIDC. The DL Hard Hat sponsor is Falkbilt, and the mentorship sponsor is Desmone Architects. Through these sponsorships, we're able to put on this podcast series. I am Clayton Morris, the Nayop 2020 DL Chair and Asset Manager for Samson Morris Group. Later in this episode, guest host Jim Ambrose interviews Audrey Russo, the President and CEO of the Pittsburgh Technology Council. But first, some NAOP announcements. September 17th is a big day. We have the September chapter meeting in the morning, and in the afternoon from 4 to 6, the DLs are hosting a limited edition project series tour at Samson Morris Group's newest project, the Plate Mill. I am personally excited to be developing the Plate Mill, and I'm excited to discuss the project with NAOP. The site and the event are at the waterfront, right next to the River of Steel Pump House. We will have hors d'oeuvres, drinks, and a special virtual reality experience for the attendees. To RSVP for the two upcoming events and all NAOP events, please check out the NAOP Pittsburgh website. Hello, Pittsburgh! Recording from the heart of Robotics Row in the Strip District, my name is Jim Ambrose, and I am your guest host for Episode 12. Thank you, Clayton, and thank you to my peers at NAOP Pittsburgh for providing me the opportunity to record this podcast. Today's show will feature somebody truly legendary. We are going to have a one-on-one conversation with Audrey Russo. She is someone who truly understands the DNA of the entrepreneur, how their innovative ideas translate and evolve into companies, and then what the relationship is like with commercial real estate. This is going to be what we are going to focus on mostly today, because as CEO of the Pittsburgh Technology Council, Audrey has been one of the biggest catalysts of positive change throughout the Pittsburgh region in our recent history. I cannot wait to explore the synergies between the technology and commercial real estate industries. As you are all probably aware, today is Friday, September 11th, 2020. This is known as Patriots Day and also a National Day of Remembrance. I think that before we dive into the program, it is important to pay tribute to the 2,977 innocent lives lost 19 years ago. This, of course, is a result of the September 11, 2001 attacks on the World Trade Center towers in New York, the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and Flight 93 in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, where its passengers heroically crashed their plane to prevent a potential greater loss of life. Please, please join me in a moment of silence to honor the innocent lives lost and the families impacted as a result of the attacks on American soil. Thank you all. And honestly, a big thank you to all the first responders and heroes who sacrificed their lives and well-being in order to attempt to save others on September 11th that day. On that day, ordinary people of all backgrounds became heroes. And to me, those heroes truly amplified one of the most important concepts of our American culture. And that is really the power of the individual to make a difference. Before I introduce you to Audrey and talk everything technology and commercial real estate, I would like to spend a little bit of time to explain where I'm going with the concept of the individual, because if you know me, I think this is a very important concept to understand. 
So where I come from, I believe that the individuals who align themselves with a common goal of serving others, not just because they have to, but because they have the freedom and the choice to do so, have the best chance of leaving an everlasting impact on our society. And because of this, I think that since 2001, I believe we are all experiencing and living a historic shift in our economy because there are a lot of people who are rolling up their sleeves who are choosing to solve problems. And can anybody take a guess on who you think that is? Anyone? I assign credit to the American entrepreneur. Think about it. These individuals not only have ideas, but they have the willingness to challenge the status quo. They have unmatched work ethic and gritty persistence that can truly make a positive difference. These are the core qualities in any entrepreneur. And I think that whenever you foster a lot of these people and they all have the motivation to make the world a better place, they have sort of stumbled upon a revolution called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Globally, this is also called Industry 4.0. So if you're not familiar with Industry 4.0, Industry 4.0 envisions a world where smart machines can essentially analyze and diagnose issues without the need for human intervention. So therefore today we have a lot of people and a lot of companies that are pursuing a myriad of sectors to attain the vision of industry 4.0. So a good example of this would be the concept of your smartphone's ability to essentially communicate with things like your washer, dryer, home alarm system, cars, you name it from anywhere that you are. This is essentially large-scale machine-to-machine communication. This industrial revolution also features things like robotics, 3D printing, predictive maintenance, smart sensors, autonomous vehicles. These entrepreneurs are pushing technology to work in ways unfathomable, and new discoveries are really happening on a daily basis. So for everyone in commercial real estate, whether you like it or not, this is going to transform the way that we do business in ways that we do not even understand yet. Western Pennsylvania, and really primarily the greater Pittsburgh region, has been one of the biggest winners in the Industry 4.0 race. And I think that's really a thanks to the collaboration of our universities, state and local leaders, the Allegheny Conference, and of course, the Pittsburgh Technology Council, which is a nationally and globally recognized organization that has been one of the biggest advocates for Pittsburgh's transformation. So without further ado, and really the primary purpose of today's program, I want to welcome Audrey Russo, the CEO of the Pittsburgh Technology Council. Audrey is one of the smartest and most inspiring people I know, and I am delighted to welcome her to the NAOP Pittsburgh Developing Leaders podcast. Audrey, thank you so much for carving out some time out of your day to speak with us. We really appreciate it, and welcome to the program. Happy to be here, happy to support the work of NAOP. So, Audrey, you've been involved with the Pittsburgh Technology Council for quite some time now. Maybe you could quickly introduce the council and talk talk to us about why it started and how you ended up getting involved into it. Well, let me tell you, the Pittsburgh Technology Council started in about, uh, let's see, 1983. Mm-hmm. which was the first technology council that was ever formed in the U.S. And actually, simultaneously, they worked with Boston to start theirs. 
And the, really how it started was a bunch of guys and they were guys, but they were, you know, academics, um, practicing attorneys, as well as advanced manufacturers that said, you know, everything is, um, you know, leaving Pittsburgh. And we know that the amount of research and the amount of capabilities across the next iteration of work needs to um, forge their presence. And they said, we don't want to be a chamber. We don't want to be anything kind of typical, but we think there's a there there. So they actually started this tech council, which is a 501c6, because they knew that uh, at the time, Governor Thornburg in Pennsylvania um, was very, very active in terms of science and technology. And they got his support to think about what a technology council might be. And probably about 20, 25 people got together and said, we're going to form something that's going to focus on talent, that's going to focus on capital, that's going to focus on regional policies as well as state policies to make it an incredible place to build your business in southwestern Pennsylvania. And we're going to create opportunities for business development, both inside the region and outside the region. So when I took over the organization about 12 years ago, the organization had become sort of, you know, uh, an amalgamation of a lot of nonprofits with different kinds of initiatives. And I took the organization essentially apart, met with many of the guys who started the organization, went through the original bylaws and took the organization back to what the vision was back in the, you know, in the early eighties. So we're still doing that kind of work. We no longer have a venture fund. They, they, they started a venture fund and tried to invest in some of these nascent technologies. But we are still very, very active in terms of accessing capital and making connections and put, trying to put Pitt, Pittsburgh on the map anywhere around the world. So well, that's sort of the background, you know, in terms of the organization, <laughs> just in a quick, you know, format. And I think that that's pretty innovative and, and forward thinking, because if you think about it, you know, the entire primary economy of Pittsburgh had left back in the 80s. And so that vision was so important to the region. And when you think about when you took over to be able to, to deconstruct the technology council and then rebuild it towards vision, what was the technology economy like of the region whenever you took over the role <laughs> of CEO? It's so funny because, you know, in my neighborhood, I had left a a company called Maya Design. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. in my neighborhood, people and people that I knew and, you know, from here, I had only been living in Pittsburgh probably, what, eight, nine years at that point. And people in my neighborhood said, there's no technology in Pittsburgh. How could there be tech? And these are educated people. I live adjacent to Carnegie Mellon. And, you know, even though the researchers knew that there was an immense amount of technology that was working, you know, and being supported, you know, from autonomous vehicles to artificial intelligence, there was no real ev evidence of the proliferation of company formation that came right. out of this work. So, you know, it was just like a constant conversation. Anytime I would walk outside and connect with people, I'd be like, that's sort of cool, the concept, but there's no there there. They didn't believe it. So at the time, I said, you know, we've got to start telling the story because there is a there there, right? Even though there is an amazing amount of research that's happening at the University of Pittsburgh and Mellon, there really was the beginning of companies trying to form. So at the time, I want to say that probably 
maybe 15% of the region's payroll was in tech and tech related. And that's related to the NAIC codes right. that, that people use, you know, that are identified by the government. Today, we just finished our state of the industry report today. I think it's 35% of the region's Jeez. payroll are people who that's work incredible. in tech and about 25% of the jobs. So think about that, the highest paying jobs over a third of the economy. So, you know, we've really reached this tipping point in over a decade of, you know, what those contributions are. And you can see that in both in the urban areas and in the suburban areas, right? The, the growth of, of all the adjacent markets, all the services, all the restaurants, you know, the commitment to the cultural arts, all the things that sort of make sort of the new world really important to have those kind of amenities. You know, obviously, you know, we're going to, maybe we'll talk about the pandemic, but, you know, that shifted things for sure. But, you know, the shift has, you know, steadily occurred. 70% of the money that's invested in companies right now in this region, the capital, comes from outside the region. So there's noteworthy attention that to Pittsburgh and to the kinds of companies that, that are well, built here. You know, we love whenever money comes from outside the region to our economy because it's just it gives an infusion and trickles down to all aspects of, of what Pittsburgh's doing. And right. and you know, that's actually something that I was really interested in understanding from you is when you think back to where this incremental shift began to happen to more of a, a tech type of economy, uh, an industry 4.0 type of economy is sort of what you were describing within Carnegie Mellon, where the seeds of that was happening. And I think that today we're seeing a lot of those companies now come to fruition where it's almost like people forgot that that wasn't even there. And, and, and so what, right. <laughs> what I'm wondering then is when you think back to whenever the seeds of it were in place within the, the walls of the universities, what role do you think commercial real estate played and did it have any direct relationship to being able to get those, those companies or those ideas essentially out into the urban and suburban areas, as you alluded to? Well, you know, it's they're, they're adjacent relationships, right? You know, you've got to have you've got to have great amenities in terms of commercial real estate, so that people can build these companies. And these companies are at different stages of their developmental cycle, so they have you know an array of needs. I think that there are a couple of inflection points. One is when the Nabisco factory converted into Google. I think that was an example of you know something's really possible and it wasn't and it was in an area i mean i can remember that people said it was too far right it was too far out from campus and you know you think there was the how are they going to get a bus and walnut capital worked really hard on transportation and you know figuring things out and now now here we are you know google's been out there yep what yep. 12 years maybe I think they were 15 years here, so they were three years in the university, and now Google's out there with who right. knows how many people, right? And I think that became like the first moment of people saying, hmm, you know, there really is something here. Now, mind you, at the time, you know, Google hadn't expanded in terms of, of um, anything outside of, you know, computer software research, et cetera, and now they've expanded in terms of their offerings here. So people, 
you know, they're growing, they've been growing and they've made a considerable commitment, you know, to this region. The, I, I think that was like a moment in time. There are lots of conversations, I'm sure, you know, the um, membership of NAOP definitely paid attention to that kind of shift. Now, you know, it's amazing to get the kind of commitment that you get in property in commercial real estate with, with a company like Google. You know, obviously there are a bunch of caveats and Google, you know, Google doesn't want Audrey right. to bring Facebook in there, right? They don't want to bring it. You know, there's definitely, you know, some things that preclude um, the opportunities there. But I think the the understanding that the you don't have to sit on top of campus, but that there is an opportunity to build tech companies in a way that can create these new clusters that are seemingly close. And uh, so I laugh about that now because I sat in so many meetings where people said that's too far, there's no way. And, you know, Andrew Moore at the time, who was running that Google operations before he became dean of, um, at Carnegie Mellon in computer science and then went back to Google to lead their AI practice, he was, he, you know, he was relentless. That was his vision. He saw the opportunity to build, you know, the community and uh, believed in the revitalization of, of the Nabisco factory and Walnut, you know, were great partners in, in making that happen. And they were able to get, you know, work on long-term leasing strategies, which is very different than some of the startups right. in terms of what And that's they actually a great point, is that I've actually heard that from a lot of buzz of a lot of individuals at tech companies who are transitioning from seed money to larger forms of funding that they are having a lot of trouble today, now that we're recognized as a global hub, with the length of the real estate industry's lease terms. And I think right now it's a big debate right. in the industry. What, what do you think the actual truth is in your take on uh, how these companies need to be working with commercial real estate or commercial real estate working with these companies to make this ecosystem continue to thrive? Well, you know, a few years ago, actually, Nayop asked me to be on a panel, and we, and we talked about this, and we had some of the young companies here, I think, including Duolingo, which is not the first such unicorn. a small company anymore. And, right, should be our, yeah, would be our first unicorn in terms of their value, their valuation. But um, I, at the time, uh, you know, this was like four years ago, at the time, there were lots of discussions from companies that were you know, going from like five to 20 people, right? You know, five, you know, or um, a robotics company that knew that they needed space, right? But weren't exactly sure how much space they really needed, but knew they needed kind of work um, space where they could work with physical, mm -hmm. you know, objects. And, but they weren't sure, right? They weren't all sure about what it meant to take out space, right? Do I need 10,000 square feet? Do I need 20,000 square feet? Why would that be? And, and, you know, why do I need to get into a seven to 10 year lease? You know, that's, I don't even think that far. My business plan is right. like an 18 month business plan that just rolls, gets into a rolling budget. And uh, so there was lots of conversations across these founders that just said commercial real mm -hmm. estate doesn't understand us because we can go to Silicon Valley or we can go to Boston and we can get short-term leases that aren't right. co-working spaces and you know they're willing to work with us well part of that as you well know and as your as you know naop knows that it's really a matter yep. it's a numbers game at that point 
right? If you and I own a building together and we know that there's constant deal flow, we might be pretty flexible mm -hmm. in terms of our lease. We might say, okay, we'll work with you on a three-year lease. We'll work with you, you know, on a, on a two-year with a contingency to expand or shrink because you know you've got the deal flow. And in a place like Pittsburgh, that's just on a steady right. incline, right? It's not a hockey stick. It's a steady incline. You know, as, as a commercial real estate owner, you're, you're thinking to yourself, how can I afford to take this risk? How can I afford to, you know, to do something that's three years when I'm going to do, you know, a, a build out and build that into their lease. And I'm not going to get the returns of that until five years or whatever the modeling is. And uh, so, you know, I understand that, right? I totally understand that from a commercial side, but right. the world was moving faster. The world was moving faster. And when you own this kind of brick and mortar, you've got, you know, these operating costs, you've got all these, you know, real dollars that you've actually, you know, have to you know, spend every month. And uh, it seemed like a collision. It seemed like it was a collision beginning to happen, particularly not for the big companies, not for Apple, not for Facebook. You know, you, you, know, you can go to those companies that are on the NASDAQ that are sitting here in Pittsburgh. Those aren't the ones you're worried about, right? The ones that we're concerned about are the ones that right. are, you know, scaling. And we've seen good evidence of scaling. I mean, we definitely have. And but we've seen, you know, the intersection of some of these hard conversations of saying, I, I can't make a commitment that long. My my investors don't want me to make a commitment that long. I can't, you know, um, do any kind of um, planning that that will honor that commitment with integrity. So I think there was a period of time where people were very, very much talking about this, like we've got to shift the real estate um, industry, the commercial real estate industry to think differently. And if you didn't have, you know, one of the NASDAQ companies in your portfolio in terms of the assets that you own, it becomes, it became tough. And, you know, and you're seeing, and now we're seeing it exacerbated, I think, with the pandemic, because now we're changing our behaviors, right? That's even, yeah. that's even like another layer. Well, and it's just, you, you mentioned how quickly the shift has happened even whenever people were reconsidering their real estate. I mean, even less than a year ago, so many of our peers were rushing to build these collaborative tech flex areas all throughout the strip district. And, right. I, you know, we keep hearing the same things over and over again about COVID and, and how this is going to completely change the landscape. And, you know, honestly, you know, the personalities of entrepreneurs and those who are willing to persevere through problems right. and, and hurdles better than anybody else. Do you really believe that right. the remote or the work from home trend is going to stick? Is the isolation from the workplace an overcorrection? How do you feel that this is going to impact the individual's ability to innovate without collaboration? Well, I don't think okay. it's either or. Okay, I think right now we are in a radical swing. We're in a radical swing because, right. because of COVID-19. And because of all the unknowns and because that schools have impacted families. So, you know, you sort of have this convergence that's occurred. So obviously there's this radical swing and that swing is, oh my gosh, I've got to work from home because I have kids that can't go to childcare. They're too old for that, but they're too young. Right. And uh, wait, 
they're too young. They don't, they don't, they don't like work. And, them, so. <laughs> yeah. No. These guys don't like work from home. So my, my point is, is that the, there will be, my hypothesis is that there's going to be, and I can even feel it with my team as we work remotely. We need yes. to collaborate real time. You can feel that gap. The question is, do I need to collaborate real time all the time? And what kind of accommodations does my company and make what? for me so that I can work from home, so that I can collaborate, so that I can have the right tools that I need? Yeah, Zoom doesn't do there. it, right? I, I actually like lose patience after about 40 minutes on a Zoom call and I have to get off. So that, that if you have the free account, it's actually perfect because it kicks you off and <laughs> you don't get back on. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, unlike you, bet, I'm on I Zoom bet. all day long. And so, you know, and, and there is some, there's a lot of great aspects to to Zoom or to Microsoft Teams or, you know, to whatever technology that you use, I can have a great one-on-one -on -one right. conversation with you. I mean, we really can. It can be intimate. I, you know, I can have conversations internationally with people face to, you know, real time for a long period of time and we can get a lot done. The question is, what happens to the accidental collisions that happen at work? What happens when you, you know, you have a whiteboard, right? And you're really trying to work in a collaborative way because an idea pops in and you need that moment to brainstorm it. That's what we're missing. That's, that's the piece that we haven't gotten because we don't even have, you know, we're not in a whole and that, world. That is honestly where a lot of innovation happens is it just could be walking by somebody's desk and you have a conversation about nothing related to the product that you're trying to develop. But, but some thing that you talk about that might even be about your personal life will spark an idea that could then apply and cross over to the, the great work that they're doing. And, and so that's where I begin right. to wonder is if, I know that things are still kind of happening and unfolding uh, in our, both in our economy and how people are, are trying to reintegrate back into the office space right now. But given what you just said with the virtual world, where do you see a shift in the way that we could build commercial real estate and will our technology companies drive this? Well, I mean, I think it's not just technology companies. Remember, there's a whole ecosystem right. that supports innovation. So those are service industries and those are critical, critical players in terms of building tomorrow. You have to have those adjacencies. You have to have services. You have to have accountants. You have to have lawyers. You, ha you know, let's just go. You have to have compliance support, et cetera, et cetera. So the question is, what about them as well? How do they need to work? Can they work remotely? Are there collaborative situations that really work for them? I mean, I think, you know, this next iteration of real estate is definitely going to be with some experimentation. The question is, do we have the fortitude to be able to experiment and the financial capability to and that experiment? Is the million dollar question, uh, you know, a lot of criticism 
is given to the industry. And honestly, one of the reasons why I got into it is that people haven't really evolved and changed over several years of, of doing this. And I, I agree with you. I do think that there is going to be a set of uh, real estate deals that have to happen in the very near future to be able to just say, all right, throw everything away that we've done in the past. We're going to try it this way. And uh, do, have you seen any early stage movements like that that, that, that might point to the disruption? None. None. No, I haven't seen any. I mean, you know, I worry about the workplace, the, work, the shared workspace. I mean, what's happened there? There's, that was something that was, and I'm not going to make any reference to WeWork, but you can see the, the change, right? I mean, how do you make a, a shared workspace right. safe? How do you keep all the protocols in place? So that's additional operating expenses that probably weren't factored <laughs> in to the design and purchase of that right. space. And I, I know that a lot of the other smaller spinoffs of the co-working spaces are beginning to start to go under. Um, I know I know of a few that have happened. Are they even in Pittsburgh without naming any names? And it's just it's just really it's okay. really tough right now because of everybody's fear of being in the office. But you know, I think that you raise a lot of really interesting points, and I'm so glad that you are calling on our commercial real estate leaders and developers to be able to collaborate and come up with some sort of prototype that will help us get through this point in time and to the next environments of innovation. Well, I mean, you know, it's the math yeah, has to work also, right? I mean, the math has to work and, you know, my hat's off to, these real estate developers because they they are the ones who and all the, the risk money. yeah you know they have put the money in they put the risk in they've worked hard in terms of build outs and trying to think differently about designing space so you know maybe the opportunity is that, you know there's another side that i've heard is that you know maybe we go back to like when i started my mm -hmm. career i had an office yep Right. I had an office and maybe that's, you know, how we how we start to think about things. Maybe an office that is a hotel like office and people work in different shifts and people come to the office, you know, for collaboration. And, you know, maybe that's how we move. I can tell you that I do not believe we are going to return predominantly, particularly in tech to working in the office full-time all the time unless you're working on robots in information of things you know in autonomy where you really have to be there to touch things but i do not believe that we will be because i think right now people are saying they're they're questioning their lives they're questioning what it means to be a parent to be a citizen to have a home to work remotely, to have the tools, to be able to, you know, check out and walk around, to be able to multitask a whole bunch of things that we were not able to do before. And I hear more and more, that's what people are, are saying. What is, what is it about my whole life now? Do I need to live in Silicon Valley when I can work in Utah and still get my work done? 
And maybe I only fly into the office I, twice a month. I completely agree with you. Mm-hmm. I actually think that you're going to see a lot of cities or smaller towns that may not have necessarily been viewed as desirable because you did not have a centralized uh, group of offices or businesses. But with the way the technology has evolved, people can really decentralize and work from anywhere and, and really fit those elements of their lifestyle that make them happy and, and, and do it. And I really think that you're right, that we're in a period of people questioning what their lifestyle needs or wants to be. And anybody that was on the fence is now just doing the whole work remote thing. Well, look at what's happened. You can see that uh, I think I saw the data and I don't know if it's perfectly correct, but certainly directionally correct that a thousand people a day are moving to Florida. (laughs) And And I thought Nashville was growing insanely when they were having 92 people a day move to Nashville. So right now, I mean, I actually belong to Facebook um, uh, groups, whatever, that are called Leaving New Jersey, Leaving New York. And what I do is I plant information about Pittsburgh in there. So I'm like a little bit of a ringer. (laughs) You know, I put jobs out there, et cetera. But, you know, they're saying, look, you know, the taxes are lower in Florida. Look, the weather's better. Look. I can send my kid to a private school, even though the school systems are terrible in Florida, you know, and I can live in a big house and I can have an office and I can have a pool in my backyard and, uh, you know, follow those groups, follow those conversations. It's a complete shift the other way of what people were doing even just five years ago and going to places like New York City. Right, right. And people are... People are saying, you know, but but think about it. Why do you need, and I'm a New Yorker, why do you need to live in New York if the restaurants aren't opening, if Broadway's not open, if off-Broadway's not open, if the museums have diminished their hours? Think about that. That's why you live there, because you're around that intense diversity of culture. And if you don't have that, why are you living in a in a six? You're just not going apartment? to, and that's that's what we're seeing, right? And then you get right, then you get into the winter months. It becomes really, really tough, and it becomes less appealing. I think that a lot of people during this time, particularly in the north, where you've had spring and summer, we've spent a lot of time outdoors. We've had a lot of time for some solitude. We're thinking about how we educate our kids. We're thinking about what it. It means to be a part of a community. And I think it's a radical shift has occurred. So I think that people, particularly people who have the kind of skills that are in high demand, that are highly educated, are questioning whether or not they really need to have that kind of quote unquote Mm -hmm. nine to five. And they'd like to do it on their own terms. And I think a lot of young families are questioning what it means it, you know, to send your kid to school. You've, you've summarized that feeling perfectly that everybody is questioning, you know, that they want to do everything on their own terms. What, when you, and I'll leave you with this one last question that I, I just can't help myself from asking, even though this really, well, this has a direct impact on the work that you're doing and what commercial real estate can do to be able to help accommodate this. But when you look at our region and even our state at this point, because I think that with 
the uh, everyone's interpretation of what to do during COVID-19, one of the things that surprised people and caught people off guard is how differently each of the states and even the local cities have handled it. So now that we've already made those decisions mm-hmm. and we can't change the past, what do you think our region needs to be doing right now? And what does our state need to be doing right now to be able to appease and appeal to these entrepreneurs and people who are now leaving from all these major markets? Because there's a real opportunity there for Pittsburgh and we want to be able to support it on commercial real estate. Yeah. I mean, I think we need to have people on the ground. If you look at the models of Mm -hmm. even embassies, right. And ambassadors, we need to have people on the ground in peak locations and those peak, the peak locations. And, and, you know, we'd have to figure out what they are. I mean, I'm just following these two little groups on Facebook, but you have to look at where they are and where are the ties. So people who come to Pittsburgh, it's not a destination that they think of. It's got to be where they raise their family. They went to school here. They were raised here. Those are the people that are going to have the highest likelihood of wanting to come back here. And so we got to figure out where are those people. And the other thing is, where are the people wanting to move out of? And those dense cities, are they those dense cities? Is it really Seattle? Is it really Silicon Valley? I'm not sure. But I would think that it's definitely New York. It's definitely Washington, D.C., you know, places. It's definitely, I mean, Boston probably less so because you can get out more uh-huh. into suburban areas there um, and head north. And I think Maine has really, and Vermont have experienced some influx. Upstate New York has definitely experienced some influx of people wanting to have that quasi-suburban rural. People are going way far out on Long Island and uh, are staying out there. I mean, past the Hamptons, you know, going all the way out to the tip. So, you know, we've got to look at where are those people and, and track them and be have ambassadors. We really need to have people on the ground that are connecting. And in this world, it shouldn't be that hard because you physically might not need to be on the ground. But you've got to figure out a real guerrilla kind of campaign that gets people connected to the opportunities, the living the lifestyle of what it's like to be here. And, and you can see the suburban areas here are growing. I mean, I don't know, Jim. I mean, what's happening in, in residential real it estate? Is it seems on like fire. it's growing. Here. It cannot stop. It, it, is, it is incredible. Right. I think I heard a statistic. I have to verify this. So, uh, you know, hopefully the world does not take this as a pure fact. But I read an article on MSN Money in that in March, whenever the pandemic started, uh, all debt related to mortgages and home equity loans and things like that was something around $63 billion. And in just a short time of of a few months, I believe it is now up to something like 9.34 trillion. That seems incredible to me. And, and it, it, it may make sense. And uh, who knows where that's going to take us, but uh, you know, Audrey, I think your point about getting ambassadors on the ground to be able to celebrate Pittsburgh and and essentially this lifestyle is really a really good one. And we have uh, NAOPS developing leaders in Pittsburgh are the largest commercial real estate organization in the region and one of the top ones in the nation. So if there's anything that we could say to our developing leaders right now and you're traveling 
you're seeing family anywhere, you're on vacation, represent Pittsburgh, represent all of the good things that we have to offer here because we can provide a great lifestyle for them. And Audrey has just given us all of the reasons as to why we should do that. Audrey, we really appreciate you taking the time to be able to speak with us. It is so incredible to have you on the program and we hope to be able to have you soon in the future. Well, thank you. And thank you for my dogs in the background. And if you heard a squeaky toy, that was the puppy trying to throw the squeaky toy at me. So I apologize. But in this world, you know, our lives are all part of the experience of work. So I thank you for that. And I thank you for your leadership on and all that you do for the community. Thank you so much. As well as now. I look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon. Jim and Audrey. Thank you for the insight into Pittsburgh's technology industry. Jim, you said something very poignant at the end when you reminded everyone to represent Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is a great, vibrant, growing city with tons of opportunity, and we are finally getting the national attention we deserve through the work of many groups, including the Technology Council. This attention will only drive employers' investment and growth in the region. When I am out of town, at conferences or events, I do my best to sell the region, and I encourage all listeners to sell Pittsburgh too. The next episode is hosted by Emily Sipes with RIDC, a group that has been selling Pittsburgh for decades. Emily will be discussing the history of RIDC. I hope all listeners are subscribed to the podcast on their favorite podcasting service so you can remain up to date on all episodes. Thank you, Clayton Morris.